here it is, Memorial Day, this weekend. Last week, uh, we looked back. We looked at our 95-year anniversary of our church with Pastor Floyd, and and he he talked about how we can't live in the past. And, And so even though we're kind of in that time of transition from Easter to Pentecost, I want us to remember that it's good to look back, but it's also really good that we move forward. And that's really important for us today. So we think about memorials, and they cause us to look back and to remember, but also hopefully to look forward and to change. A memorial is usually an object which serves as a focus for a memory or a commemoration of something. Usually, it's an influential dead person, really. Uh, Here is the Lincoln Memorial. And what you think about all the things that have happened in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Because of what Lincoln stood for, we remember him, and we want to be associated with that. Or there are historical uh, memorials. Here is the uh, Iwo Jima Memorial, uh, which is in Arlington National Cemetery, just across the river from the Lincoln Memorial. This one has such drama, such dynamic. As you look at this, it reminds us of a tragic event. There are also um, popular forms of memorials, including landmark objects uh, like Mount Rushmore. I don't know how you get your picture on there. I don't know who even decided that. But these are some great leaders. Uh, Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. When we think about works of art, such as sculptures. This uh, sculpture is Christ the Redeemer. It's in Rio de Janeiro. I had the privilege one time to stand at the foot of this. This thing is huge. It's like 100 feet tall. And it is, it's like Christ is reaching out over the city of Rio de Janeiro. And boy, that city has really been through it and needs a redeemer. When we think about all these memorials, the most common memorial of all is is the gravestone. Um, gravestones often it says "Rest in peace." These are a type of memorial, but there are also uh, memorial plaques. Uh, do you ever stop at historical markers? This one's in downtown Placerville. It, it says something about old Hangtown and all those kind of things. And I, and I like these. I, I like to stop. I, I know I've made my family stop at historical markers along the way many different times. And um, I, I found out that there's an app for historical markers. And you can, you can go see them all, but it's going to take you a while. There's over 114,000 in America, these historical markers. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you find one that's not on the app, be sure to let them know because they're trying to, to add to it all the time. I want to speak about another uh, memorial. Uh, about a week ago, Colette and I were driving, and, and there was a, we saw this along the side of the road. Maybe you've seen this too. Cross. Usually there's some flowers, maybe a small stuffed animal, different things like that. And I said to Colette, I... 
I wonder what they're trying to remember. What, what's that memorial for? What happened? And usually, they, these kind of seem to be traffic accidents. And then I wonder, was this an innocent situation? Was, was, or was somebody drunk and, and died in a, in, at their own hand? We know of one of these when a small child from her school was killed on a corner there. For a long time, they kept that memorial alive, remembering that little girl who died. You know, memorials can be very sad things. And yet, when we think of all the memorials, I have to tell you that the greatest memorial of all is the cross. The cross that reminds us of Jesus. Here is a field in France at Normandy where all these American soldiers are buried. Um, this is a memorial to all those who gave their lives storming into D-Day to retake Europe. A memorial, a cross, a name, a date. Many people travel here to this it's just like a beautiful park now. And it is a place that people go to remember. Well, memorials help us to look back. And if we use the lessons of the past, memorials can help us move forward. You know, I love this guy, Anonymous, who had so many great quotes. And I want to share some anonymous quotes with you today. Here's the first one. The past is like using your rear view mirror in your car. It's good to glance back and see how far you've come, but if you stare too long, you'll miss what's right in front of you, and that could be very tragic. How about this one? You can't start the next chapter of your life if you keep rereading the last one. Here's another. Don't let yesterday take up too much of today. And you can't reach what's in front of you until you let go what's behind you. I like this one. Sometimes God closes doors because it's time to move forward. He knows you won't move unless your circumstances force you. Trust the transition. God's got you. I think that's great news. I think that's a good thing for us to know. Look back, but move forward. God's got you. What a great message. He, he knows the past, and he has your future in his hands. Now, we're entering in this time of the scriptures when the disciples were going through a tough time. It was that time between Easter and Pentecost. After Easter, they were living in fear. They were locked behind cold closed doors, they, they were on limbo lockdown, they were living in fear, just like many today. Many people are still living in that fear. How do we move beyond that? But the disciples were able to, because they had some encounters with Jesus. The first time was when he came right in their midst behind those locked doors. He had to come to them, because they were sequestered. But then, finally, the disciples were able to move on, and and, and we're going to see this week and then next week as we celebrate Pentecost what it took for the disciples to move forward. And what does it take for us today to move forward? 
what do you need in your life right now in order to move forward? Well, let's take a look at how the disciples did it. This is the book of Acts, and we're going to begin at Acts 1, verse 1. And this is Luke writing this book, book, and he says, In my first book, which happens to be the Gospel of Luke, and he, he talks to Theophilus. Well, the same thing is true here He in the book of Acts. And do you know, if you take the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, which is the longest of the Gospels, they make up fully 25% of the New Testament. So this is the most complete of the Gospels, too. Uh, it goes on, I told you, Theophilus. Now, who is this Theophilus? Some people have surmised that it's not a real person. He's just kind of writing to a group of people and, and just addressing it that way. But, but I think the best uh, scholarship says that this really is a real person. In fact, probably Theophilus was a benefactor of Luke. Perhaps even Luke was, as a physician, in that day and age, might have been a slave. And, and Theophilus might have been his master. And yet, at some point, it's pretty clear that Theophilus becomes a believer. And I don't know if he releases Luke or, or if he's just a benefactor, but, but Theophilus is most excellent. He, he's a very important person to Luke because Luke is using him as the source uh, to send this information to as, as the focus for this. And so he goes on. I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. You, do you see that? Jesus did things. He taught and he began a work. And the disciples, they watched and they learned. Jesus just wasn't about teaching. He was also about doing. Notice this word began, and he's, Jesus is not done yet. Jesus began the work, but guess who's going to take over and complete the work? It's us. It's those who follow him, his disciples. Verse 2 starts like this. Until the day that he, Jesus, was taken up into heaven, and after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So, there's more teaching. There's more to witness. There's more to learn. And all of this, then, is helped along by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that next week. Verse 3. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. They, they still wondered. They still had doubts. They still needed proof, and they needed power. And Jesus is going to help that. So I've been thinking about this, um, this word quarantine. And, this, and, and if you take the, the Latin for that word, the Latin root word for quarantine is 40. Well, what does the Bible say about this word 40? The flood lasted 40 days. Moses spent 40 years in the, in the wilderness of, when he fled Egypt. There were 40 days that Moses stayed on Mount Sinai to receive the commandments. The exodus lasted for 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Lent is 40 days. 
days. And Passover to the Ascension is 40 days. 40 days is the biblical number for a time of purification. And the example of this is that there were 40 days for a woman to rest after giving birth to a child. 40 days. Well, what happened in these 40 days? The days between Easter and the Ascension. You see, Jesus' purpose here is described in the next verse. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. During the 40 days, Jesus' main purpose with his disciples was to continue to teach them about the kingdom of God. They still hadn't quite got it. So Jesus' purpose in those 40 days was to further instruct the disciples. And, and we need to understand what the kingdom of God is all about too. And it really wasn't going to be until what we talk about next week, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that they fully got it. Look at verse 4. Once, when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. The gift he promised, as I told you before. And then he said, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, look back, but move forward. And this is only going to be made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? You see, they still needed to learn it's not about our kingdom. It's about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus replied in verse 7. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But this is the best verse of all in this whole passage. I love this verse. This is a memory verse. You ought to get this one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me. And you're going to do this everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples, they, they are now moved from being disciples to being apostles. They're moved from being, from witnessing things to being witnesses, from learning to doing. Verse 9, after this, uh, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. This is so interesting that he was taken up into this cloud. I have a, a picture I want you to see here, because when the temple was dedicated way back in 1 Kings, the scriptures record that there was a cloud of glory that was, was filling the whole area right there. Now, here in Acts, Jesus is taking up into a cloud. Could this be that same kind of a cloud of glory? They, they, there's talk about the Shekinah glory of the Father. And so when Jesus ascends, there is this moment of glory. Now, verse 10. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two 
white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Now, some have suggested these men. Notice these are not angels. These are men. Some suggested that this might be Moses and, and Elijah because there was a time when Jesus went up onto the mountain and, and, we, and, the, and the time we know as the transfiguration occurred. And this is in Matthew 17. And, and is this the same? They didn't give us any further clue than two men. But look at what they said, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. In the same way, in the same glory, the Shekinah glory of God. So we see the disciples here moving, having a transition in their lives. What started in fear behind closed doors then finally moves to further instruction and then to commission. The witnesses were witnessing things that Jesus did. Now they are to witness to others about those things. Now they're not a witness, but now they're moving to witnessing. The disciple, the learner, became an apostle, a messenger. If you, you know, it, you think about looking back, you got to learn from that, but you also have to move forward in order to act. And we have this book, The Acts of the Apostles. They finally got it. When the Holy Spirit came on them, they had the power to act. You know that during this uh, quarantine of our world, lots of things have happened. I heard about Venice that the, the waters in Venice are, are clear and blue, and they've been so polluted for so long. Rivers are cleaning up. Vegetation is growing. The air's becoming cleaner because there's less pollution. Did you know, I heard today, there are, no more, there are more bears now in Yosemite, and, there, and bears are taking over Yosemite again. It's very interesting. Uh, other animals, too. Uh, but there's also... Uh, Oh, I guess there's four times as many bears as there used to be. So that's a lot still. Did you know crime is down? Uh, there's, less, there's less theft. There's less murder. Uh, healing is happening. And really, most importantly of all, people are still turning to Christ. Maybe because of this turning to Christ. The earth is at rest for the first time in many years, and hearts are truly transforming. You know, if it takes a virus to do that, can you say God bless it? I, you know, I don't know. That, that might be a, a bit much. It's hard to, to see this as good news. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but one of our churches was particularly hard hit, and it happens to be the church in Salem where Colette and I used to serve. We were youth pastors there. And they have had 10 hospitalized with COVID-19. Two people have died. One of the people that was hospitalized is Roy Hall. And Roy was my doctor when I lived in Salem. And, and he had just been to Honduras on a, a medical team 
trying to help out down there. It was not too long after that he got home, and he wasn't feeling well, and that had gone on for a while. His wife, too, Ruth, was not feeling well. And they finally went over. They have a beach house. They went over to their beach house, and, and Roy just wasn't doing good. And, and Ruth told me that it was so bad, she just drove back from Lincoln City to Salem and, and drove right to the hospital. And they admitted Roy then. And they weren't going to admit her, but she said, look, I need to be tested too because she, she also had the virus, although she had a very mild case, which was really fortunate. It was not fortunate for Roy. He had a very severe case, and he was taken into the hospital and in critical condition. He spent 12 days in the hospital. He was on a feeding tube, and, and it was really hard for Ruth because she was isolated at home and could not see him at all. Uh, she told me that, that his phone died because it, they didn't even have a charger. Uh, they had some at the coast, they had some at home, but, they, but Roy didn't have one. One of the nurses got a charger, and that little thing meant so much to Ruth. They called her one day in the midst of this and said, we just want to check, make sure your husband's advanced directive is up to date. Now, Roy's a doctor. Ruth is a nurse. She knew what this meant. She was Roy was on a feeding tube. He was receiving oxygen. He told me that he was receiving six liters of oxygen a minute. I don't know what that means, but that seems like a lot. But I, the good news is he survived. Um, I asked him. Uh, he's, he's been home now for about six weeks. For about the first three weeks, he was so weak that all he could do was just get out of bed and go to the bathroom and back, and that was about it. But now he's outside walking, and he, and he doesn't have the, quite the energy, but, but he's doing well. He's 79 years old. And I shouldn't have probably told you that, but um, he, he survived. And so I asked him, were you afraid? Did you have fear? And he said, you know, really not much. Now, Ruth did, but I guess Roy didn't have much fear. And so I said, why? And, and I said, is it because you're a doctor? And he goes, no, that makes it worse, because then I knew all the things that they were doing, and I knew it was pretty serious. That actually makes it worse being a doctor. Really, what helped me is my Christian faith. It's because of my Christian faith that I knew it was going to be okay. One way or the other, it was going to be okay. I asked him, Roy, what have you learned through this? And he said, live life and do the best you can. I thought that was a wonderful statement. But I want to share another photo. This is a, a photo of Steve Betchart. Steve is 71 years old, also part of the Salem Church. He played the trumpet. This is his daughter, Ginny. And Steve was seriously ill and taken to the hospital. And he began to slip and fade. His family couldn't see him. They said that that was the hardest thing of all. Steve passed away, and they lost him. When we think about this virus, and, and we, we've been so fortunate up here in El Dorado County. We've been blessed. 
when you hear about people that you know who've had it, when, when you hear about people who have died, that were close, then you begin to understand how serious it is to live well. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And the best way to live, the most abundant way to have life, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. The disciples were in fear, and then they got some instruction, and then they got some power. We need to let that fear go, be in the past, and let God instruct us on how we should behave, how we should act, and then to be filled with His power so that we can live the life He calls us to live. So during this time, I hope that you will enjoy this time with your with your loved ones, that you'll return to a to a family altar together. That because prayer is the great blessing. And you know, we seem to have more time together. Why not take advantage of it? You know, no one can stop you from praying. Except you. So I hope that you'll take time to pray. Through prayer, you'll see the changes that God can work in you and in your home. This is a crisis time, but, but it can also be a time of preparation for us to be what Jesus has called us to be, his witnesses. Can I get a witness on that? Pastors always say that. I never, I never say that. And we have like four people here, but none of them gave me a witness. Christ promises us that everything works together for our good, even viruses, for those who love God. Romans 8.28 So may these days of, of quarantine bring spiritual liberation to our souls and to our nation, to our world. I want to close today um, with a quote from Chuck Swindoll. I love this. He says, we have the most creative, forward-thinking, adaptive, innovative, progressive leader the world has ever known. And he has been with the organization from the beginning. In fact, he started this global enterprise, and he has served as its leader through countless challenges and changes. God is with us. We need not fear. We need to learn and we need to receive his power to be all that he has called us to be. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, right now, there may be some who are living in fear and I just pray right now that they would put their trust in you and that you would drive out all fear. Truth is what we need. So instruct us, teach us, Help us to learn to depend more on you and less on ourselves, less on the government. Lord, there are people who are going through financial difficulty. I pray for them. I pray for wisdom and direction. And Lord, help us to help one another. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with great purpose to fulfill your mission, the great commission, that we may be your witnesses. And Lord, we're going to look back on this year and we're going to say, I lived through 2020. It was a tough year. 
God is faithful. And Lord, be with those who've had so many losses. As we remember those who've gone before us this weekend, this memorial weekend, I pray, Lord, that we will remember you because you have gone before us and you lead us into new life by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we follow you well. And may all we do be for your glory, for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus.